0: following is a Sunday sermon from Hope Presbyterian Church of New Braunfels, a community of people gathered to connect to God, to each other, and to their neighbors. For more information, visit www.hopenb.com. Well, welcome again. Uh, I'm Derek McCollum. I'm one of the pastors here. That was Mike Habercorn, other pastor here. We would love to get to know you. And if you're just joining us, we are actually still kind of uh, toward the beginning of a series we started a few weeks ago in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is an Old Testament book recounting God's people who have been in exile for quite some time, and Nehemiah, who's grown up in Persia, traveling back to Jerusalem to help rebuild the city's wall. And Nehemiah is really a book about renewal, renewal. You'll hear, in fact, in the passage that I'm going to read, the word repair repeated over and over. And that word repair gives us a wonderful hint, actually, of what God is doing in the world. Jesus actually said that his main purpose was to renew all things, make all things new, our hearts, our relationship with him, and his good creation. So keep that in mind as we read. If you've got a Bible, you can open it up to Nehemiah 2. We're going to kind of bounce around a little bit in these passages. Uh, it's probably easier this today to follow along on the screen. Also, just so you know, there is a lot of Hebrew names in this passage, so just buckle up because it may be a little bit bumpy. All right, here's God's word from Nehemiah 2 and 3. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now, the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hasenah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Miramoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Benah, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Joiada, the son of Peseah, and Meshulam, the son of Besadeiah, repaired the gate of Yeshanah. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them repaired Meliata, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Mariathonite, the men of Gibeon and Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Uziel, the son of Harhiah, the goldsmiths, repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Repha'iah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them... Jedaiah, the son of Harumath, repaired opposite his house, and next to him Hatush, the son of Hashnebiah, repaired. Malkijah, the son of Harim, and Hashub, the son of pehath Moab, repaired another section in the tower of the ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halahosh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired, he and his daughters. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok the son of Emer repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemaiah the son of Sekaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. And after him, Hananiah, son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaf, repaired another section. After him, Meshalum, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Malkijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite the muster gate. And to the upper chamber of the corner, and between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for these words, even as hard as they are to pronounce. We're grateful for your word, which pierces bone and marrow. We ask, Lord, that even now, you soften our hearts and you open our eyes and our ears, that we might hear and see and know you, and that in knowing you, we might come to love you more. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen. Last, uh, last weekend, my son Anderson and I got a chance to go to the Texas-Wyoming football game, had a blast. And if you're a football fan, uh, really of any kind, but especially I think if you attend high school or even especially college games, you know the incredible experience of singing with like 100,000 people around you. Singing something like a fight song or an alma mater and everybody in this huge stadium is just ringing out with these words, singing together. It's really a fascinating and unifying experience, isn't it? To be able to sing kind of these words together in community. And of course, there there are not very many places where we really do this in our culture, are there? I mean, it's really either football or concerts or church, but singing together is a a deeply transformative experience. But you know, as as great as it is to sing, you know, in a football stadium, uh, I actually really love listening to singing in harmony. Uh, I was in choir in high school, and our choir would sometimes sing pieces in eight-part harmony, eight parts. And our choir director would, he would rehearse us each individually, right? And so you'd only hear the individual parts first. And if you hear an eight-part harmony song and you just hear like the tenor two part or the soprano two part or the bass part, if you hear it alone, it's not all that exciting. It really doesn't sound all that good. But if you hear them together, And all of that lush harmony just woven together in this incredible, rich, and beautiful tapestry, man, it is just transformative. It is overwhelming. And I think that's actually a great picture of what's going on here, if you can get over all of these difficult names in Nehemiah chapter 3, is that there is the beautiful diversity and unity of the harmony of this song going on together. When you listen to harmony singing, you're hearing the diverse parts all sung together in harmony to make something that's beautiful, that's much more than the sum of its parts. And that's what we're really seeing here in Nehemiah 3. We're seeing the diverse unity of God's people working to accomplish God's mission. So let's kind of take that apart a little bit and look at what I mean by a diverse people. Well, first of all, you heard me try and pronounce a lot of names, didn't you? And by the way, I skipped a large chunk of chapter three just so I wouldn't have to read any more of those names that I'm sure I butchered. And even though I skipped a large chunk of those names, we still got so many people. What Nehemiah, I think one of the things he wants to tell us is that there were a lot of people involved in this building project. And by the way, even though I skipped some, really even though all of the ones that are listed is probably not everybody who worked on it. This is a list that's probably compressed in some way. When oftentimes historians and biblical historians tell stories of things happening, they will include details, but that doesn't mean that all of the details are all included. I mean, if I told you about that football game we went to, I could say, listen, for the first three quarters, it was pretty boring and it was kind of tough. And then Running back from the home team broke off a long run in the fourth quarter and it kind of broke open from there. That is a true assessment of the game, but I didn't tell you what play they ran with three minutes left in the third quarter when it was third and three, did I? Because I don't need to tell you. I've compressed it. And in the same way, actually, we're probably getting a bit of a compressed version even of all of the people who worked on this wall. And even in that compressed version, it's quite a long list. But not only is it a lot of people, it's a lot of different kinds of people. Maybe you heard the diversity of different kinds of people that are working there, right? There were priests and there were lay people. There were people like goldsmiths and merchants and perfumers. It doesn't list any builders, interestingly, right? It's all people who have different jobs who are actually giving of their time to join in to this work of building the wall. And again, probably compressed. Those are probably not the only trades people who are involved here. You hear leaders, governors of cities, and you hear just regular kind of, you know, civilians and folks like us, citizens. And you hear some people doing more than other people. You hear men and women. One guy decided to bring all of his daughters. It's pretty great, right? It reminds me of the Watson girls who stick around to put chairs up after worship. And it's beautiful, again, to see that not everybody is doing exactly the same thing. Some people are working right on the wall that's right across from their house. And it's just kind of this little small bit, and they're doing their small part. And then some people are actually working on a big piece of the wall. In fact, some folks, like the Tekoites, come from a different town. That's a small town outside of Jerusalem. They come in, actually, to help build the wall. And I actually think that's a really good thing for us to remember. Everybody is involved but not everybody is involved the same way, and that's okay. God actually tells us, I think, in this passage that it's okay for everybody to be involved, but not everybody involved in exactly the same way. As most of you know, uh, we're launching a generosity initiative in October where we are seeking to actually raise some capital to purchase our own first permanent facility. And if you were to ask me, listen, in this campaign, would you rather raise a greater amount of money or see a larger percentage of people involved? Well, first I would ask, is there an option C that's all of the above? Because I'll take that one if there is. But if not, I'd rather have more people involved. We want to actually see all of God's people joining in and helping in the way that God calls them to. There's a beautiful diversity to what's going on in this passage, and there is a beautiful diversity in what God has called us to as a body. There's a beautiful diversity in the body of Christ. The church should be a place where we see people engaging in different ways, where we see many different kinds of people, where we see people serving in the ways that God has enabled them to serve, where we see all kinds of men and women and different races and cultures come together. In fact, that's the vision that we get in Revelation is all of the world and all of the nations coming together as God's people to love and serve and worship Him it's a diverse place. It's supposed to be a diverse place. But it is also a united and unified community. God's people are not only a diverse community, we are meant to be a united community. And that word community, I think, is just so powerful here, and it's something that we, um, that we think so highly of in this church if you're part of our DNA class, you've, you heard me teach on it just this last Sunday, and it's one of our core values here at Hope, is that truth experienced in community produces change. Truth experienced in community produces change, and it produces change in us as individuals, it produces change in us as a community, and it produces change actually in the world In fact, not only is your walk with God, your own discipleship role, not only is that a community project, but God's project of redeeming the world is also a community project. He has called a people together to partner in some way, some crazy, mysterious way. God has said, I'll use the broken people to help put the pieces back together again. Isn't that amazing? God has called us to be part of His mission. And what we see happening here is all of these diverse people coming together in a unified way to gather around the mission of loving and serving God by building this wall together. If you know anything about bees, it's kind of like that. All of the thousands, there may be more than 2,000 or so worker bees that are all part of a beehive, and they all have individual jobs. They're all given kind of little bits of this little honeycomb that they are to build or to take care of the young ones or to go and get food and give it to the queen. And they all, for some crazy reason, know all of their own individual jobs, and they all do them because they all also know that the way that they as individual bees are going to live is that they as collective bees together are going to work to protect the whole hive. Or think about a body, right? This is actually one of the Bible's most favorite ways of talking about the church is that we are a body. Uh, there are 78 organs in the human body. In, in each of your bodies, you have 78 different organs, and they're all working together for the same goal. There are some 200 different kinds of cells at work within us. And of those 200 different kinds of cells, there are 30 trillion Individual cells in a human body. The trillion with a tu. Thirty trillion cells that are all working for one purpose, and that is you, to keep you alive and well. And the Apostle Paul actually uses this analogy to talk about the church. Listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 4. The whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly. It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's what's supposed to happen in the church. That diverse group of people, like those 30 trillion cells in a human body, are all working together as a unified community to build up the church in love and to grow closer to the Lord. I read something that came across my my phone kind of feed, my news feed yesterday. Talking about this loneliness epidemic amongst men, and especially amongst fathers, is that men, and especially fathers, have less community, fewer friends, and a higher degree of loneliness than they ever have since we've studied it. And what was fascinating to me was actually, after going through all of these numbers, one of the things that this, by the way, very secular newspaper article said were the reasons that men struggle with loneliness were two big reasons. One was a decrease in attendance in institutions, things like churches, where men used to actually find belonging, and that attendance has decreased, and so that sense of community has decreased. The other thing was a sense of purpose, a together purpose that they were bound together with with other men that enabled them to feel close. Now, that article did not combine those two things, but the Bible does, is that God has actually called His church with a purpose. He has called His church with a purpose to proclaim His goodness, to live for His glory, to glorify him in all things, to be transformed in worship and community together, and then to go out and actually love God and love neighbor and make disciples of the world and be a part actually of God's kingdom-building mission in this world. Friends, us, each of us as individuals have a joint and communal purpose that binds us together in a community. Let me just, sorry about that. That community piece, I think, is so important as well in, in what really is um, highly individualistic society you know, that we all grow up in. And even, even, if, even if you grew up 50 years ago, you still grew up in a highly individualistic society, right? And we are trained that we are to go out and make a name for ourselves. So let me just say, if, if your goal is to make a name for yourself, if your goal is to to find a place where you can showcase your gifts and talents, to find a place where you can distinguish yourself amongst your peers, you're in the wrong place. The church is not that place. The church is the place where even individuals who, by the way, are honored by God with their names here thousands of years later, are honored in their own individual gifts, Asked to bring those gifts in to a common purpose and a community mission under God's guidance. All right, let's turn as we close here to this final thing that I think is really important for us to see in this passage, and that's this building project that's both diverse and unified, that God's people are actually gathering together to do more than just Build. They're gathered together actually to do more than just a building project. How do I know that? It's actually because that's the way that verse or chapter 3 starts. If you've got a Bible, you can look at it again or just listen as I read it. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel the first thing that we're told, the first people that we're told who build are actually the priests. In fact, there's wonderful wordplay in, in, in chapter 2. Uh, uh, Nehemiah says, rise up and build. All the people cry that. We will rise up and we will build. And then the words that we get in chapter 3 are that the priests rose up and rebuilt. They did exactly what Nehemiah had called them to do. And they led the people in doing it. They were the first ones. They were the ones leading the charge, the priests were. Right? We sometimes think uh, it, one of two extremes, either the work of the church is all for the religious professionals, or the work of the religious professionals is to sit back and watch other people do things. Neither one of those things happen here in Nehemiah 3. We get actually the priests, the guys who are leading God's people in worship, who are joining in and picking up shovels and hammers and are building the wall right alongside everybody else. It's really beautiful to see them leading that charge. It's also wonderful to hear what happens just after that. As soon as they finish building, what do they do? They consecrate it. They consecrate it. That word consecrate means to set apart or to make holy. They probably had a ceremony of some sort. It was probably really beautiful. It was probably a lot of fun. And they all got together and they proclaimed that what they were doing was actually more than just putting up some walls. What they were doing was bigger than just the practical things. We used to live in South Louisiana, and we would travel from Texas, you know, where our parents lived, to, to Baton Rouge. And if you've ever driven along I-10 in Louisiana, you've driven across the Atchafalaya Bridge, which is, I think, the longest bridge in the United States. And it covers the Atchafalaya River Basin, which is just, just goes everywhere, right? I mean, you're, you're over water for it feels like ever It feels like you're crossing an ocean. And the Atchafalaya River Basin, is just, again, it spreads everywhere in these marshes and and, and really beautiful, you know, really fruitful, tons of fish. It it supplies many crops and, and many industries. But the thing about the Atchafalaya River is that it is a distributary from the Mississippi River, which means that the Mississippi River feeds the Atchafalaya. So that if the Mississippi is down, guess what? So is everything else. And that river that feels like it just goes on forever that you have to take 30 minutes to cross would not be there were it not from the Mississippi, which is its source. And I think in many ways what the priests are doing here in Nehemiah chapter 3 is they're reminding the people of that same thing. Listen, let's remember the source. Let's remember, as we proclaimed already in chapter 2 and then before that in chapter 1, that it is because of the good hand of God that is at work that we're even doing this. We must remain attached to the Lord in the midst of this project. And friends, again, this is so important for us, even as we prepare our hearts to walk into this season of this generosity initiative, or us as we're looking for property, is that it can be really tempting to think, you know, it would be great. It would be great to have a church building so that we wouldn't have to set up chairs and curtains and stuff every Sunday and take it down every Sunday. And it sure would be great if we could have a place where we could just store all of our stuff. And it sure would be great if we could have a place we could meet and have groups and Bible studies and we could park there and we could come in and out and we could do it whenever we want and it could be ours. And man, how wonderfully practical would that be? And it's true. It's true. It's gonna be awesome. (laughs) But if that's the reason we're doing it, it's the wrong reason. Friends, we are not actually seeking to have a permanent home in this city so that things can be easy for us. What we are asking God to do is to provide us a place so that we might dig our roots deep into this city and be a part of his mission to proclaim his gospel where he has put us. That's why we want a home, not for us, for the world. One last thing as we close. Maybe you noticed the person leading the charge is not even just a regular priest, is he? He's called the high priest, and the high priest had a very particular function. Not only was he kind of the leader of the priest, but his function was one that only one person in all of Israel could fulfill. In fact, maybe you've even seen it pop up on your calendar. Tomorrow is, uh, is Yom Kippur, which is the Jewish holiday celebrating the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, actually, when we read about that in the book of Leviticus, it was the high priest, the only person in the entire country who could go into the room called the Holy of Holies inside the temple where the Ark of the Covenant was, where God in some way mysteriously and symbolically dwelled with his people. And for one day, one guy could go into that room and he would bring some blood of animals that were just sacrificed and splatter that blood upon the mercy seat upon the Ark of the Covenant, thereby proclaiming that God was atoning for their sins, that these animals were sacrificed instead of them. It was a day of unity and community for God's people to come together and say, the one thing we know most in this world is that we are broken and we need to be forgiven. And our Lord has done exactly that. Who better to lead God's people in this building mission than the high priest? Well, there is one better. The book of Hebrews actually says that Jesus is the greater high priest, that Jesus is the only one who has full access to the Father in of his own ability, that he actually can stand before the Father in his holiness because he is pure That Jesus, in his work of actually bringing us before the Father and requesting atonement, has not simply brought the blood of goats and bulls before the throne, but he has brought his own perfect blood, his own sacrifice to the Lord, so that we might be atoned for our sins. And Jesus, our high priest, is the one who is leading the charge of this wonderful city-building mission that God has to build up his church into a beautiful city of God, that Jesus is putting his hand to the plow, and that Jesus, by his own work, is sanctifying his people. Friends, it is because of Jesus that we can take up the work of being a part of God's mission. Here, gathered as a people, scattered where you are in your own homes and your own vocations and your own families and your own friendships. Together, a diverse and unified body joining in under the leadership and guidance of our king to build his kingdom together. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the testimony of Nehemiah, but we are so much more grateful for the greater Nehemiah the greater high priest, the one who has built not simply a physical wall, but who is building up and making all things new, who is building up a holy and heavenly city that we will someday inhabit, and Lord, who has laid down his own life, the priest and the sacrifice together as one, that we might be made new. Lord, it is because of Jesus' work that we gather and we proclaim. We pray in his name, amen.